0: Dear Lord, Thank you for giving me the strength and the conviction to complete the task you entrusted to me. Thank you for guiding me straight and true
1: through the many obstacles in my path and for keeping me resolute when all around seem lost. Thank you for your protection and for your many signs along the way. Thank you for any good that I may have done. I'm so sorry about the bad. Thank you for finally allowing me to rest. I'm so very tired. Go now to my rest at peace, knowing that I have done right with my time on this earth. I fought the good fight. I finished the race.
0: I kept the faith. Here we are, good people. Uh Oh, in a five, a four, (laughs) a three. Oh, okay. I thought that was your intro. (laughs) All right, good people. Holy shit All right, matineers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, good people. Welcome to this week's biblical episode of Midweek Matinee. Open oh. your Bibles. I'm your, I'm your host, Father Gaswan, <laughs> 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 on this week's episode of Midweek you, Matinee.
0: Now you gotta fuck up midweek matinee though. It's gotta be like mid- mid-walk... <laughs> midwalk. Midwalk. Meet me. Meet me. Hello.
2: Welcome to matinee underscore midweek. <laughs> <The> <laughs> weekly
0: movie podcast. <laughs> Hello and welcome to. <laughs> okay so for real though this time hello hi welcome welcome to to (laughs) midweek Monday. i fucking hate you chris (laughs) this episode is brought to you by beats by dr dre's product placement inside of the movie that we were watching this week the book of eli so beats by dr dre please send us the uh records that funds that we need for this for Uh, all your
1: felting needs
0: Yes, exactly. Uh, also just so that anyone can try and pull anything against us, we are not actually sponsored, so please do not sue us, Dr. Dre. Uh, we also talked shit about you last week in our last episode. Technically so I didn't. Please yeah, Blake did, not us. Yeah. So no. if you sue anybody, his name is Blake Pope. Hey, if he sues us, we to see him in court and meet him. You did yeah.
1: the, you did, you did, super well standing there for 30 seconds of the I'll movie. I'll this.
0: tell you right here, right now, though, you know who didn't forget about Dre? Me and Chris. So anyway, yep. I am joined this I didn't week forget about how terrible while we was. discuss the, the, I guess, second movie <laughs> in our uh, Denzel month as we are doing, and that is The Book of Eli, as I've said before. I'm joined by Mr. Chris Figgs. How are you doing, sir?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: I've been better. I've been worse. I'm here. Um,
1: I'm sorry to hear that, I think.
0: Yeah, exactly. Me too. Blake, my main man, Paps Blue Ribbon. How you doing?
2: I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for asking.
0: Thanks, man. Hey, you know what? When I say your name that way, doesn't it just make you a little
1: (laughs) (laughs) This joke is gonna be so funny? I love Brett's giggle.
2: He's just in the background.
0: <laughs> okay, Chris, that'll be my only one. Okay. I That's awesome. You. Sounds great. <laughs> only what? Uh, I can't say anymore. <laughs> actually, uh, I, I, it's vocal contract. It, it's actually recorded, so I'm kind of fucked. Yep. Yep. So if I say anything else about the M word.
1: But one day I'm going to trademark that word. I'm going to be rich <laughs> enough to trademark it and just sue every time someone speaks it.
0: Are you going to be like the Paris Hilton that's hot anytime someone exactly. says it? Lawsuit. Yep. yep. Okay. Well, good luck with that. And when you are there, hopefully it's because we all uh, see, you know, the, the rising tide raised all ships and here we are mm. just in our own money where each of us choose a phrase that we don't want people to say anymore.
1: Yeah. yeah. I'm going to sue people yeah. when they don't say it. That would be super nice of me. My friends don't use that word, though.
0: Ooh. I guess I'm not your friend, bro. I'm sorry. Damn, (laughs) Those are strong implications there, but...
2: You're not supposed to be friends with your coworkers.
0: That is true. And I love my coworkers on this <laughs> show. Not so much in real life. They're okay, I suppose. Please, I hope they don't listen to this episode. They it's exist. are real interesting. <laughs>
1: my coworkers exist, I guess. I wouldn't mind if they died.
0: <laughs> they got severe. Speaking of everyone dying, the book of Eli is a very simple premise. Everything gets fucked up, guys. Uh, it does. So I want to start off. There's a very important thing here. I had seen this movie the year it had come out, 2010. So it's been 10 years, pretty much. I won't say on the dot, but I didn't watch it in theaters. I did watch it after it came to uh, DVD. So Blake had seemingly, from what he was saying last week, seen this movie on multiple occasions and loved yeah. it. so we kind of know where you are blake we know even though i do want to ask you in a second how revisiting it has either strengthened and, and fortified or changed your opinion in any way but chris as someone who has yes. virgin eyes ears and lips to this mm-hmm.
1: virgin and only my eyes to this movie yes
0: mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of it Dang, i really it. Virgin. I thought it was awesome So what'd you think of your boy Denzel here? Because clearly the point of Denzel week is to highlight all of the works in which this fantastic actor has affected our lives. And clearly Denzel is a, is a hell of an actor. So in this role, this is clearly quite a different role for him. If I, if I'm being honest, when you think about a lot of his movies, this is a very, I don't know if I'd want to say reserved, but in a lot of ways, the basic aspects of his character are about being reserved and modest in a very different way. Uh, so for you, this is a hard question. Okay. Where did this stack up in Denzel performances to you? Is it, does its uniqueness by nature give you any kind of extra points or, or where are you standing on it?
1: No, I mean, this is, I don't know. In terms of the Denzel I've watched, this is probably like the bottom, but it's also Denzel. So it's like better than most people's <laughs> acting.
0: So it's interesting here, because actually, as much as I love Denzel 2, the thing that was coming back to this movie 10 years later, one of the reasons I was a little iffy on choosing it last week was primarily because in my mind, this movie had not held up, or at least I had feared it wouldn't. In my mind, I kind of thought about it, and there are definitely some things that I do remember that did not hold up very well, most of it being CGI, but yeah. As far as the actual premise and the way that the, the filmmaking goes about kind <clears> of <throat> setting things up, I I was genuinely surprised when we watching it when I was thoroughly entertained pretty much the whole time. And I don't know why I didn't anticipate that initially when I chose it. But it was kind of nice to come back and rewatch it. So I'm All not right. going to say, I, I, of course, I love Denzel as well and i'm not I, i'm i'm kind of in agreement that while i think this is a perfectly fine role i don't think that this necessarily shows him at any of his best qualities blake time for you to chime in buddy
2: all right hear me out here i think the cgi in this movie not holding up makes it better oh so okay.
0: where because i think that specifically the, most, the, sky. the the most obscene part of it actually from cgi is the, the fast moving the movie, clouds nope <laughs> It, really it's that was the, the, most... the movie whenever cuz that just looks like a a kind of iffy time lapse but when they're on the boat going to the island you know off of the 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 oh golden gate bridge i could not even tell if the water was real and the background was fake or if the water and the background was fake and it didn't matter <laughs> because they both looked so bad and every time it would cut to Mila Kunis or Solara it would just look even worse than when it would cut towards Denzel's character because it was like someone was taking her footage on the green screen and just shaking it a bunch.
2: <laughs> That's fair. I was talking more about the, I completely forgot that how bad that looked just when I was thinking about the CGI. I was thinking about the beginning with the clouds moving fast and like mm-hmm. when it zoomed up, and I don't remember how early it was. It was within like the first 20 minutes though. It sure. zoomed up and all the uh, cars on the highway and Denzel's just standing there. Mm hmm. I don't it's know it weird. made it feel like unintentionally like weird looking and kind of foreign not foreign as in like a foreign movie but like you know what i mean like yeah
0: like strange like something yeah. that you're not used to seeing which i mean
2: i it feel- reminded me of fallout which is like i mean it's post apocalyptic i guess that's the easy comparison to make still but
0: well i think the easy comparison to make with the way this world is built up is mad max right
2: yeah true I mean, with the vehicles and such. I've
0: not seen the newest Mad Max, so I'm not talking about it from a comparison standpoint. Uh, We've talked about I've only seen the newest Mad Max, (laughs) but the original Mel Gibson Mad Maxes, uh, which of course the new one would be based around as well, is a clear root of inspiration here in the way they wanted this kind of post-apocalyptic, you know, war-ridden. It's interesting. The backstory for all this is kind of. I don't know. I don't think it's ever fully explained. And I kind of like that. The mystery of exactly what happened is kind of fun. But Mm -hmm. going back to the CGI discussion there, though, I think that one of the things that I thought was so interesting is. That the opening of the movie with like the body in the forest and kind of seeing all the stuff coming down was actually gorgeous. It looked beautiful. Shot really well. Even the the CGI of the cat getting hit by the bow or by the arrow rather uh, was convincing. Even though you you know it's CGI, it looked great. And that entire scene was set up very beautifully. The framing was beautiful. The actual visual style they were going for just looked fantastic. I mean. If anything, I actually think the movie is almost worse off because of how good the beginning was in terms of looks that since the rest of the movie couldn't quite follow that, I was a little disappointed.
2: Yeah, I can see that for
0: sure. Uh, One of the only other scenes that I think comes to mind while we're on the idea of like style, because I think a lot of what makes that work is the style and the tone that it brings to the movie, that I think once they move out of that scene is suddenly gone. Uh, But one of the only other moments that I think is that striking and that visually stylistic that you just see is one of the first kind of interactions we get to see out of our character, Eli, where he walks up on the girl who's asking for help. And he mentions that he realizes and can smell the, the uh, the hijackers. And he takes, you know, once he cuts the guy's hand off and kind of realizes (coughs) they're all going to come after him, he takes yeah. A step back into the darkness
1: and we get to awesome. see
0: the whole thing happen from like shadowy yeah from like a silhouette effect and it kind of reminded me of the visual flair that a lot of the time zach um snyder likes to bring into his movies it kind of makes me think of yeah. 300 where everything you're seeing was like uh exaggerated blood splatter that was in the silhouette so it got to look very you know I guess over the top, but in a way that was stylistic, without having to rely on uh, CGI too much, which I think is smart. And I thought that scene was really cool. And there's very few scenes in this movie that I think are as striking as that intro and that particular scene.
2: Yeah, the first third of the movie was definitely the best part.
0: Going into specifically the way that the story is kind of built up, you know, the the way that the acts kind of play out in this movie, I'm, I was surprised as i was watching it for some reason i don't recall this movie being two hours long no yeah i was surprised when i saw it too i don't necessarily i'm not sure that i don't think it earned it it was interesting that it didn't feel two hours long to me so i guess in that regard it does earn that time but i think that's a big point for me so when looking at this this is a much more subdued movie in terms of what it's basic story is trying to tell. It's got a clear thing from the outset. What's, what's our character doing? Our character is headed to the West and that is his goal. The entire movie, he has the same need, the entire movie. The only time that we kind of see his need, not change, but shift and focus is once he has Solara with him and we get to the ultimate point and where the book that he is carrying becomes the point of, is someone's life going to be worth losing this book over? And we see him finally realize that the value that the book taught him is being overshadowed. As he says, like, you know, he was so caught up in protecting the book that he didn't think about what it had taught him. So in that moment, even then his need doesn't change because once he gets back up and doesn't even have the Bible anymore, he continues to walk West. So he's a very simple, I'm not going to say simple. I think that's a poor choice of word, but I think he is a, interestingly strong but also rather single goal single-minded character and i think most of the characters within this are particularly single-minded so chris from a writing standpoint how do you feel about the way that characters are built specifically into this story
1: um i thought a lot of them were just mostly prop characters personally Mm -hmm. you know it was like even um shit what's his name the bad guy
0: Gary Oldman's character
1: yes Carnegie. Oldman's character. Carnegie even he felt like he was kind of more in the movie as just an obstacle for <clears throat> Eli to overcome which could also kind of move into the religious overtones of the movie you know God just continuously putting obstacles in Eli's uh, way and Carnegie and Solara were his final challenges you know
0: that's interesting. So you've used Solara as a challenge in which way,
1: right? It was a, it was a test of faith. Like,
0: mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. That's what I was doing.
1: Whichever, I don't remember if it was what the father's name was, who was told by God to kill his son in faith, you know? And oh, I think Abraham. Yes. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And then it kind of feels to me like him letting Solara die was, him almost failing a test of faith, but I think him, it's also him proving that he is a good person kind of thing.
0: Sure. See that, that was kind of how I viewed it too, is that you have Solara is there's a lot of interesting things with the way they choose to name characters within this. Not all of them have an immediate thing for me, but I think from some of the biblical knowledge that I do have, which is n- admittedly not near as much as a lot of people have uh, Salara not even from a biblical standpoint, the name itself, but Solara means light. And mm-hmm. of course, when you're looking at, he, he's, <clears throat> excuse me, he's often quoting about walking in the shadow, <clears throat> excuse me, but he's often talking about the lack of light in the world. And also in a weird way, he, he talks about, <laughs> I guess I should start back, the fact that he is named Eli to begin with is interesting enough because he is uh, the high priest of, I can't ever think of how you actually say the word, but it's like Shiloh or Silo, something like that. Uh, And anyway, Eli, if I'm remembering correctly, is blind. And clearly what, one of the things that we see be a point throughout this movie, as we eventually see everything unfold is blind people, which seemingly come from whatever led the world to the events in which it's current are the state that it currently is. But, by the time the movie's done, and this is actually a question I had for you guys, because every, it's weird. In my memory of watching this movie, This I felt one way about it, and then rewatching it, I was like, I'm a little torn as to what I feel. So for you guys, did either of you feel like, by the time the movie's done, and Blake, you've watched the movie tons of times, so you probably have a more concrete feel about where you land on this. Where do you land on Eli being blind? You know, it's, I think... It's a really good idea and concept. Well, but do you, but do you actually think he's blind? Because I think the movie never point blank tells you that he is, but it constantly references that he probably is. Well,
2: that's what that's what. Yeah, I, um, he does too many things, and he looks up and at like directly at things. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where mm-hmm. I don't think he could be blind. There's no way. Like, or if he is, he's doing a bad job at acting like it.
0: So Chris, before I say anything, where did you land out on that? Did you even get the feeling that he was blind? Yeah, or he's, he's absolutely blind. Okay. See, and I agree, and I think even the very beginning of the movie sets that up, right? You see him uh, not shoot until the cat meows. Yeah, that's one of the first things that I think kind of tips it off. And rewatching it, I was kind of watching it through the lens of like, watch the whole movie thinking about is he blind? So you go through it all, and there's so many little hints toward him being blind. There's so many small things in the movie that kind of go on that I do agree with you, Blake, that there's a lot of feeling of him reacting in such a way of which he can see. But I think one of the things that the movie is interesting, the thing about is that there are levels of blindness. And even when you're blind, sometimes you can't actually see anything realistically, but you can essentially see the difference between something being in light and not in light. So like one of the standout scenes about him that did immediately shake my faith as to whether he was blind or not as I was trying to go through. Cause I remembered most of the story, but I remember feeling like, so he was blind the whole movie. <laughs> the first time I watched it. So watching this one, he looks out of that cracked glass and the sun's shining and he looks directly up and he sees the light in his face and he looks up at it. But there's so many little subtle things that go into the movie that essentially show that he can't see and that he's almost It's like he's. I I think it's supposed to be that he's guided by faith to the point where his lack of sight is almost pointless. And I I don't want to say pointless. I think that's again a poor phrasing. But I think it it ultimately doesn't stand as anything uh, as a blocking his path in any way.
1: Him being blind proves that this in this universe God exists, and that's why his faith is so strong in God because God has basically held him by the shoulder. And taking him to where he needs to go. That's why he reads the Bible. That's why he's so committed to it. Because in universe, God 100% exists. You see evidence of that when he gets shot and bullets basically bounce off. You see evidence when he gets shot in the gut and he doesn't die. Mm-hmm. Even Carnegie not finishing him off is just subtle. You could make that an argument that was just a subtle push from God. Because there's yeah. no real reason that Carnegie wouldn't finish him off there. And then the biggest, sorry, uh, but the biggest evidence that would prove that he is blind is that he does look directly into the sun.
0: Mm. So while we're in this conversation, I was originally going to say, and I just took the opportunity while you were talking to double check, that the biblical figure figure Eli in the Bible was blind as well. So pulling that in here would make sense. And I wanted to double check that. So all I did was type in, was Eli blind in the Bible? And the first thing that comes up is actually in relation to this movie. And I realize now, thinking back, that this is actually true. It says Eli was blind before the war, and after finding the Bible and hearing God's voice, he regained his sight until his task was completed, finding a safe place for the Bible. This is why he did things a blind man would do. Of course, like one of the standout scenes that comes to mind is him walking with Solara and then suddenly being like, do you hear that? And he, he doesn't ever look at the bird. He hears it and shoots it. dead on sight he mentions that he can smell the people who are about these are just small things but when you look at the movie through the view of him being blind you notice him a lot stronger he smells the hijackers and specifically says that he steps into the shadow almost as a way to like even the playing field between him and them so it's like you're going into the dark whenever the uh, mother of salar comes into the room he can smell her shampoo and specifically mentions it which is not as weird in a world where Like, nice smells are probably pretty crazy. (laughs) But still, there's plenty of things. Anyway, it says here that he, that's, of course, why he could read Braille. But it says it's also why his eyes were normal at the start of the film and clouded at the end.
1: Right. Well,
2: I think the thing is, like you said, Eli in the Bible was blind, but he wasn't always blind. He gradually grew blinder. Yes. And I think that's what we're seeing in the movie. So I think even in the beginning, he couldn't see well.
0: And so I think
2: why he wore the glasses, you know, partially blind people are still super sensitive to light, Mm -hmm. even more so than us sometimes, like regular seeing people. So I think, you know, I think maybe he was partially blind and grew blinder as it went on. But there's just no way he was blind because he was like looking around. Like if that's the case, then Denzel just did a really bad job, and I don't think Denzel would do a bad job.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, like again, it's just going back. You got to think about the timeline of the movie. There are times where he seems so competent in his in his ability to visualize things, and then at the beginning of the movie, when he's walking into the house where he's cooking the cat, right? Yeah, he walks, and if you notice, he bumps into the table. Before he legitimately bumps into it. Right and before he realizes it's there and sets his stuff down. He's reaching onto the shelves where the plates are, and he's like not looking, he just has his hand there and he's kind of pushing everything and feeling it as he's going along. Whenever yeah. he's walking beside the car to the towards the house, you know, and he ends up opening the car. He does this thing where like he doesn't even notice it's there, essentially until he hears some jangling of metal, and then you notice that he feels down to the pedals and feels for like, feels for the feet, notices there's no boots, and then what does he do when he finds the body in the claws of the new house? He touches his jacket and then works his way down until he feels the boot. So it's like he's blind in that moment, but then, it is dark
2: and stuff too. Yeah,
0: it, it's weird. It's like when you're looking at all that, it's, it's hard because <clears throat> you're watching a movie. That is trying is trying to show you information. So they're going to make it seem brighter than what maybe the intentions are. Yeah. But it's hard to not feel like, oh, he's exceptionally blind here. <laughs> and then the next and scene not over, blind
2: when he looks over at someone. Yeah. Or looks at an item and picks it up or looks around the landscape or like when they went to the house later in the movie with the old couple. Mm-hmm. They just walk up to the house and he just walks up straight to the door.
0: Yeah, if anything, like, in that moment, Solara is doing more feeling than he is. She's like grabbing the banister outside the front, you know? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he just
2: like, you know, and she could have very well, it obviously cut from where they were looking from far away at the house and then up to the house or whatever. And mm-hmm. she could be guiding him. But from that moment, she's not guiding him. And he just goes right up to the door.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and it's to me, I think it, Solara never questions his ability to see. I think she views it as he can see. You know yeah.
2: what I mean? Well, but. it was funny too, the the uh the couple was like, "Didn't you see the no trespassing sign?" He's like, "No, I didn't see it." <laughs>
0: <laughs> and see that's the interesting thing too because as the movie is going on at this point, you don't know anything. You just have ideas, but he's t- he asked, "Do you read by, you know, Carnegie?" And he says, "Every day." Yeah. <laughs> they does not say how do you read. So, right. there's a lot of interesting stuff in the way they choose to tell this film and it feels kind of like the the what we talked about with Jacob's Ladder where the movie's kind of shoving it in your face a lot but I, I don't know I guess it's just the fact that I was still <clears throat> excuse me the fact that I was still kind of questioning it clearly shows that at least for most of us like we had mentioned as much as I liked and enjoyed Jacob's Ladder it wasn't pretty obvious twists by the time that <laughs> it finally tells yeah. you it's like okay yeah we, we knew that so i guess this movie did a better job in that by the fact that it was still a little bit shaky and i don't necessarily know that the blindness i I don't know if knowing for a fact that he was or wasn't blind or noticing those things take away from the enjoyment of the movie as much as they just if you notice them they add to the movie that's how i feel about it at least Now, one of the things that uh, while we're talking about just the basic idea of religion and the the idea of kind of God in the book, there's two things that kind of came to mind. First thing is that, of course, it's a historical thing, too. But we have a like in fiction, we have this love these days to kind of look back at people who are like religious people but are still warriors and that fight when pressed. And it, something about that is just really fun. I, I, it's a weird word to use for it, but it's an interesting angle that ends up kind of roping you in because you have this character who's not necessarily a pacifist, but it's kind of like the, I'm not going to move and do anything unless you bring me to it.
1: Yeah. You know, one of my notes was I found it really interesting that the whole movie, Eli is violently intimidating people into realizing that he's peaceful. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. He slammed the dude into the bar. I'm not trying to
2: hurt you guys. (laughs) Also, you have no teeth.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, it's kind of like uh, you you see him cut the guy's hand off, but it's always like there's a warning. It's like, all right, are you listening to me now? Yeah. If you touch me again with that hand, you're not going to get it back. (laughs) (laughs) So. you know, it's it's funny seeing that stuff go down, but I've always thought it was weird that, like, in Western media, for sure, but I guess even really in anime, so across the across the globe, I'd probably imagine, there's just something about the idea of, like, warrior monks or priests who are also badasses. Like, you know, we see that in Trigun, yeah. the priests carrying around the big cross that's also a big gun. So you just go through all these <laughs> different things where religious people are also people who are pushed to do something that may not uh, that may not be in line with what I think a lot of people view the average Christian or even, you know, Christians though interesting words. Some people just like to say that they're believers. So I think when you think about it, most people who believe in God, you don't think about them as people who would go out of their way to physically. <laughs> I, <I'd, clears throat> I don't know if that's the right word because, I mean, I think – Eli clearly in this is is whooping ass and like you know taking names. <laughs> so it's interesting, but I think that there's a it's interesting that there's a big thing against that where I think a lot of people view and definitely me view religious people as people who tend to talk and act about like the idea of pacifist unless acted upon. And it's like this movie's taking it to the furthest extreme. Because of course, when you live in an area like I do, like the Bible Belt, of course, you too, Blake it's very common that people have guns around here. And yeah. of course, considering the gun uh, ownership rates pretty high and religious rates pretty high, the fact that people are going to be religious and have guns clearly pretty high. But the right. basic idea that a lot of people live by is you don't hurt me and I won't have to hurt you. Yeah. So it's kind of what this movie's doing it, but it doing, it's just pushing it so far. <laughs> well,
2: it's almost like, I don't know, like, I really, really liked this movie in high school, and I think the last time I saw it was a couple years after Mm -hmm. I graduated, probably like 2013, maybe. And I don't know, I just didn't quite like it as much as I used to.
0: When watching it this time?
2: Yeah. Sure. And I think it had to do with like what we've already talked about, with like, the movie almost can't decide if he's blind or not.
0: It, it, it's kind of like it's a tale of two movies at certain points where the movie feels yeah. really focused on one aspect before it shifts to the next time around,
2: yeah, for sure, yeah, and two is like the like... almost overbearing religious like symbolism and stuff, and I don't mind that kind of stuff. I just feel like it's almost kind of forced <clears throat> into it in a way, especially with like the ending monologue and stuff.
0: I don't know, you know the weird thing is. Uh, I I don't want to speak for any of us, but I'm an atheist. Um, Blake, where you land on on that list? Because, I mean, clearly that affects the way that viewing religious inspired or whatever you want to say content is going to do, even though I'm sure there's people that probably hated the fact that this movie was religious at all, but also showed gratuitous violence.
2: But <laughs> sure. I think you could swing either way on that. Yeah, <laughs> but no, I'm atheist too. And like I said, I don't mind like religious stuff. Like it doesn't bot like it doesn't make me mad that people are religious or whatever. Sure. But I don't know. I Just towards the end of it, I was just kind of like, all right, we get it. We gotcha. We know, <laughs> you,
0: you know, so, Chris, where do, you, where do you, I mean, of course, if you're comfortable, where do you land on the religion thing?
1: I mean, I, I don't consider myself religious or any
0: specific religion, but I'm not an atheist either. Would you consider yourself somewhere in the ballpark of agnostic?
1: No, not really. I don't know. I believe that science in and of itself is religion, and I find it
0: a I little think insane. there's definitely some proof, proof to that basic idea of I what always, a religion is. I've always said that you have to
2: have I, faith for it to be a religion. There's no faith in science.
1: That's not true at all. <laughs> all of the entirety of science is faith. How so? Because literally every science, everything in science is a theory. It's entirely I'm faith. Still
0: proven otherwise.
1: No, it's always a theory. <laughs> well,
0: but a well, scientific
2: theory
1: isn't the anything same can as change. A
2: theory. It's a different kind of theory. But it can. It's like a completely different definition.
1: you still have to believe it because if if somebody came out no because if somebody came out with evidence tomorrow that the way we understand gravity is wrong then scientific theory would have to change therefore the theory of gravity while proven and most likely true is still a theory following that logic it is still faith that gravity exists (sighs) It just is. I don't know how that's funny. That's a fact.
0: No, I, I kind of get. My <laughs> like, don't we, even understand what you live mean. We on but, the assumption. Yeah. Okay, look, we all have faith. We all have faith that air exists around us and we breathe it in. Yes, you have faith it's been that you're a Yes,
1: uh, but yeah. it, again, the, all science can be disproven. <laughs>
0: Or it can just be changed in such a way that the way you've been led to believe about it right now with new information is going right, to Right, but that
2: doesn't make it faith-based.
0: Yeah, I'm not saying it is not, I'm not talking
1: about religion,
0: faith. Yeah, <laughs> It's not
1: remotely what I'm talking about. I don't understand what you mean then.
0: Well, faith, faith I think, doesn't ends up mean being tied religion. to religion. Yeah, go ahead, Chris.
1: You have to believe that what you're saying is true because in <sighs> science it is all theory. That doesn't mean that God... Again though you exists. keep
2: saying it's a theory it's not proven It no, is that's a not theory. what a scientific
1: theory is it's different than
2: saying i have a theory that bigfoot exists but that like it's co- it's it's different there's
1: not
2: i don't know how to explain it i mean i'm not a fucking scientist and it was always my worst <laughs> subject but <laughs>
1: Everything in science has the potential to be disproven. A That's scientific theory is no an
2: explanation fact. of an aspect of the natural world that can be repeatedly tested and verified in accordance with the scientific method yeah. using accepted protocols of observation, measurement, mm-hmm. measurement, sorry, and evaluation of results, where possible theories are tested under controlled conditions in an experiment.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure, I don't understand what what you're okay, I don't even we're not having the same conversation, so we could just move on.
0: <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, I
1: don't think this is yeah, science and the to... way that
0: stuff works is an interesting one, but I guess, you know, the thing about this is where we were going with the original idea of the conversation there is that when you're watching this, at least for me right even as someone who is atheist i actually i have a lot of fun having conversations with religious people like one of my best buddies growing up and i'm still one of my best buddies he's very religious and he's church goer and you know we have conversations all the time about his beliefs versus my beliefs and just curiosities about why he feels the way he feels and what he feels like backs him up on that and sometimes of course the uh, innate feeling of faith that this movie kind of touches on and you don't always know and it doesn't always make sense, but you still believe it. Um, which I do think is kind of, I, I see where Chris is going with it. I mean, the basic idea is still kind of there. Some things don't always have to make sense on the individual level for you. Even if like, cause you know, realistically, how well do me I mean, who, of course, of the three of us, who knows, but how well in comparison to real scientists do me, you and Chris really understand gravity, oxygen and all those things. We have a grasp. We have a a light grasp on it just enough for us to believe it because we understand the basic principles of how it works around us. But we are acting on faith that the people who do know better than us are being able to pretty much replicate these things. It's not like we're going out and being like, we're going to do this. Most people are not. So there is an element of faith across the board. So, but with that, I think in watching (laughs) this movie, typically what I, you know, whenever I'm having religious stuff sent to me, I really like when it's, well put together and well done and it stays singularly focused on what it's trying to do because religion is interesting and the stories that are behind religion are very interesting and a lot of them hold values and truths that are actually useful to go through and apply to your life but i do agree that this movie i i did like its overtones of religion because that can tend to lead to some pretty interesting stories within those cons- those constraints or confines. Uh, but I did feel like this movie kind of stepped in and out of it. Like Chris mentioned, there's a lot of parts about it that seem like it's taking ideas of, we're going to put someone through trials and tribulations and faith, as they say, like in religion, you know, faith is only faith when you still have it, even when you're being tested. And this movie's ultimately all about that, you know, and it's, it's like Chris said, the final, moment between Carnegie and and, uh, Eli and Solara is kind of all a test to that. Not only is he being shot. And for the first time in this movie, he's, he's not the impenetrable, invincible person that he's been the entire time. And presumably from what we've been told the entire time prior. Right. So we're seeing him have his faith tested to see if he's still going to have faith that God is essentially going to get him through this even though he just got shot with what would normally be a fatal shot. So I do like that idea. And I like a lot of the way this movie kind of go toward goes towards that. And even the kind of idea of going toward the monologue and having him be uh, his mission and his duty was done so he could now pass this world and go on. And he kind of acts as, I think this is where I think some of the, some of the religious people might get into a problem. Not that the movie's saying he is, but in this new world that's going on, he's almost acting as a much lighter, but still there as a coming of <laughs> Jesus, of someone who's carrying this message through. And through his example, we see this city who no longer has these the thumb of the oppression down on them, looking and taking these prayers and all these different things. We see the mother smile when she re- rubs her finger across the words he's having an impact on people and going through and the monologue seems fitting to the overarching way that the story tried coming together. So uh, Chris, where do you land on that?
1: I'm sorry. uh, Fraser has a question for me.
0: That's a good, that's a good, where do (laughs) (laughs) do you No, That's a, that's a good point. I mean, there was a lot there. So in the religious overtone aspect of this movie, do you feel like it's, lean its strong focus toward it was to the betterment or the detriment of the movie
1: i think it was to the best the betterment of the movie because i was watching a movie that i knew had was about religion you know
0: yeah sure like you think that the same events in the movie it's weird because they're so intrinsically tied right like the movie is so tied to religion that i guess it would feel more weird to me to not have taken the Mona topics. Lisa across the country. <laughs> yeah, right. Like if you yeah. really pull it back to something that is not as a uh, devout conviction from a you know a, a sizable group of people. Yeah, and one that you clear you constantly see people make these kind of sacrifices for. Uh, you know, maybe not necessarily in your everyday life, but we have historical information of that. It makes more sense than being like, "What would you do oh, after the storm?" I heard. Some music playing and under the rubble I found a PS Vita. And it's a world class PS <laughs> yeah. Vita. And I'm gonna take it West because I've heard that in the West they're they're getting Vitas to get <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna take apart the Vita and learn how to make new ones.
2: <laughs> I got the only <laughs> surviving copy of Man of the Year on UMD for PSP. I gotta get it across the country. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know where you found the Vita? That one that one Asian character, I don't remember her name, but in this in The Last of Us Two it was <laughs> Vita yeah, he found it in the rubble after that. So uh,
1: That Vita was the only one with the cure. And because of the good times I had with Persona 4 Golden, I sh- killed everyone in the, in the Best Buy that I was taking it to.
0: <laughs> but yeah, see, I think that, right, what other thing besides religion can you really attribute to this story if you remove the religious aspect and it still really work? I don't know that there is one. Yeah, no, no, I'm not trying to be
1: a dick, but when you were talking about how you were getting annoyed with the – Religious stuff at the end, I was kinda of, I kinda of, I kinda of don't get it because that would be kind of like me being like, All right, I'm watching Passion of the Christ and I'm a little annoyed about this Jesus guy. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to hear about that Pontius Pilate. Like, you know, like I don't know. I feel like just given for me, like I knew I knew the book it was about religion because I just from the title. So I um, wasn't surprised when it was very in my face about it.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'm not surprised. Like I just said,
2: I just think the monologue went a little long is all. It's not the end of the world. I don't hate the movie or anything.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, but I think would you attribute the religious aspects to being what you think, I guess, somewhat detracted from your enjoyment? In comparison to when you were a teenager. Because the thing is, is that there's a lot going on in the movie. And despite the fact that there's all of these the religious overtones that are there, even if you just honestly wanted to watch it with little paying attention and just watch some of the cool fight scenes, it's not like it's an unenjoyable movie. Just no, it's a good movie. It's really good. There's fun action scenes in it and interesting little, you know, watching Denzel basically be a badass and never miss. Basically, yeah, Uh, so you know, but it's good (laughs) again. If you want to bring the religion back, it's because he had uh, the all seeing eye of God, (laughs) right? The all all hearing eyes or the all hearing ears, rather, of a a blind man.
2: Uh, yeah, like you said, I don't think it would have worked without it. So, I'm not like saying the movie shouldn't have been religious,
0: yeah, sure. I just think that I guess I'm just saying for you, particularly, it felt like it leaned a little too heavily into it.
2: Yeah, for sure by the end, but Yeah, I mean, I don't really have much else to uh, to say about. It. I just think it was a little too heavy-handed at the end. It's not I don't know.
0: So, I don't know, and this is more of something that came into my head because of conversations I have with my buddy Seth, the one I mentioned to you guys, that's very religious. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that often gets brought up in between talking with him is that he himself does not like to follow the King James Bible. And I thought it was interesting that this movie went out of its way to actually specify at the end uh, that whenever he was coming up on the boat and they were saying, don't move, you know, what's your business here? And he says, I have a copy of the King James Bible. Like it was important yeah. that it was that specific edition. And then when they reprinted it, they reprinted it as the new King James Bible, because of course, technically, it's uh, being from the mouth of this character, which brought me yeah. outside of the fact that I thought it was interesting because typically Seth views the King James Bible as not a reliable interpretation, um, which there's a lot of historical information about King James making changes to the Bible to somewhat mm-hmm. fit his agenda. So not only in that, but doesn't it, isn't it a little interesting that I know this movie's trying to be religious and I don't think it was trying to do this, but the problem that people tend to have, at least from what I'm understanding when talking with Seth with the King James Bible is that it was essentially changes made not from a direct translation. And in, in a way it was like translation mixed with own personal bias. Well, interestingly enough here. We are approached in this story with the fact, and this is this was a interesting part to me that Carnegie doesn't really keep his card close to his chest as to why he wants the Bible. He is overt and upfront with everyone around him that the reason he wants it is that it's a weapon,
2: yeah, to control the masses.
0: And I think that that's so interesting because if you're, if you know the basic potential of something, right, and you're one of the only people that actually knows it because your age has given you an advantage and you see and you've seen rather what the book can do, would you not want to hold that closer to your chest? Would you not want to be so upfront? And part of me wonders if the reason that, you know, if the movie was trying to show, that he's finally so close to something he's been looking for for so long. And he realizes it's potentially falling out of his grasp that he's becoming desperate, which is a little ironic because he's talking about the book being uh, a tool that can win over the attention of the desperate. (laughs) But across all this, my, my basic point is that the Bible that they're going to get from this translation essentially, or from this, quotation whatever you want to call it uh, reciting from our man, Eli is essentially them taking what he considers to be the Bible at face value. Isn't that yeah. weird? Like, like a guy just shows up, right? And you know what a Bible is. You don't necessarily know all of it or remember it. You may know a couple of phrases or a couple of verses rather, but then a guy comes up and is like, I know the Bible just write down everything I say. And he's <laughs> right. like, on the first day, God said, "I'm hungry," and He said, "You know what? Let's build a McDonald's." <laughs> there's no reason that, of course, that it can't be that ridiculous. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. No. What just happened? <laughs> and I think that that's so weird because that, to me, seems like the exact opposite of religion. I think the saving grace here is that, as Chris mentioned, there's kind of this—he's being pushed forward by the power of Christ, and yeah. you know the original idea of the old Testament was that it was written by man, but men who were overtaken by the power of Christ. And essentially the, his word was written through men, but under his influence. Right. So I guess that's what this movie's trying to go towards is like, God gave him the ability to recite this word for word so that his word could be put back into the world and be a saving grace.
1: Yeah. And it's also, but like you said, it's also that like, um, the Bible itself is just stories told to other people, you know.
0: Yeah, sure. So it's That's kind of interesting that the the
1: New, the New World's yeah. Bible is just a, a story told by by someone in a lot of ways. <laughs> and yeah. it's been
2: changed so many times throughout history. Anyways, the Bible that most people read now isn't the complete picture, or even most of it, really.
0: Yeah, how much it's been edited back and forth, and what? Yeah, is. I don't, I don't even think you can out, find
1: the added, original like, one.
0: Yeah, you know, I've, and not to say that this discredits anything. I understand why people have religious beliefs and they're comforting in their own way. Uh, I understand why people tend to lean on them. And I think when people truly believe in them and let it change who they are, it can be a great thing. Uh, But, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's often in the uh, religious discussions, you know, a go to thing for a lot of people is like, well, you know, if, God is this all powerful being and he has this power, then couldn't he essentially just send down a book that can never be edited. It it would never need to be translated because anyone who reads it can immediately understand it. It's like in a language that is of the heavens. And when, when you see it and when you touch it or whatever, you understand it's what it contains and it's knowledge. But then the idea there is that, well, God wouldn't do that because he wants you to have faith that that exactly. And it's kind of this back and forth argument about, I wouldn't say argument. It's just back and forth about that is does the word need to be from God himself or is the word being from man enough? And that's kind of what this movie touches on at the end is, I mean, all you have in the end is stories told for through generations. Yeah. That ultimately equate the, the religion or at least, um, Propagate the ability to believe, because I think organized religion is an interesting thing. Uh, not everybody who believes necessarily subscribes to organized religion. So, interesting aspect. But, of course, we were going to get into religious conversations in regards to this movie. Almost uh, in, <laughs> impossible yeah. not to. Uh, so, I want to instead Around to some of the fun moments in the movie, of which I think there are plenty. uh Did anybody have any standout moments that, from a visual aspect or from just a gag aspect, to an extent? Is there anything that stood out to you? I have a couple in my notes, so I'm going to throw this at Blake first. What you got, buddy?
2: Yeah, we already talked about a few of them. Obviously, the opening scene with the cat and the bow and arrow and um the shadowy fight scene, but I think all of the fight scenes, like, it was almost like the fights and anything with action was shot by a different director because they were like moving the camera in weird ways. And it, all, it wasn't slow motion, but it almost seemed like it slowed down. Does that make sense? Sure. And the way it twisted around and stuff, it was it was really well done. I really enjoyed all of the action scenes.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to learn that there might have been two principal photographers for this. One yeah. was specifically... There to try and aid in the feeling and scope of the more long, you know, drawn out scenes and one who is more adept at making sure that everything looked and felt smooth during the fight scenes. Um, Yeah, because it almost
2: uh, did feel like totally different.
0: So, was there any more macro moments within those fight scenes? Because, like, I'll give you one of mine, just because I I love the moments so much, and there's so many in this little pack window uh, when they're going to the house out in the middle of nowhere with the older couple who are clearly cannibals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, whenever he uh, Carnegie shows up and is asking for the book, and they throw the book out of the upper story window, or yeah, what's so supposed good. to be the book, and then it's a bomb yeah <laughs> fantastic i love so,
2: that he just kind of dropped it too he didn't throw it
0: <laughs> he just dropped it and ran like fucking throw it in the other direction <laughs> but yeah did you have any moments like that that stood out during the fight scenes that you really liked or was it just kind of a in general you were entertained
2: yeah i mean that's the one i was going to mention that and um you know when the i guess minigun came out of like the back of the trailer or whatever <laughs> or the truck yeah it was just really good. It was really slow shooting, but just you could tell it was powerful.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love the girl was just like cranking it. You hear it going, Ugh! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Chris, did you have any moments? I mean, fighting or not, that you just really thought were particularly well done.
1: Um, I mean, we kind of covered everything. Honestly, I do have a moment that I thought w- that annoyed me. If you want to talk about that one, yeah,
0: definitely go for it. I, I, yeah, there's, is there a moment that had an impact on you, positive? There's
1: morning? a this is a very gigantic nitpick, but I really hate when movies do that thing where the character puts in headphones and then music starts playing. And then the next scene, they don't have headphones and the music is still playing. Still playing. Yeah. It it really, for some reason, like it just took, it was annoyed the crap out of me in this movie. I was like, why, why didn't you just keep the headphones in while he's getting showered and shit?
0: (laughs) So, another movie that I've not seen, but I think actually, because I'm very similar. I don't love that either. I can look past it, but it is an annoyance. Um, Have either of you seen Baby Driver? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so I've not, and I intend to, but one of the things I (laughs) thought was really cool (laughs) Have you seen Baby Driver? Yeah, I haven't. All right, anyways. (laughs) I'm going, I'm getting there. Okay, okay. One of the things I really liked about the way that they showed it off is that it looked like, (laughs) even from the trailers, that the story was so written around the idea of a character having headphones in that they would solve that issue because of the fact that it's like the music would come in whenever he puts it in his ear, And, I mean, even small stuff, right? So, like, Chris, I'm sure, because considering that you're here, are you similar in that, like, are you okay with the idea of, like, when the music's playing real loud? I love in movies when, like, someone has headphones in and you hear the music as if it was, like, you're listening to it directly, but then when they go to take one headphone out but they have the other one in, or maybe even they take both out but it's close to their ear that it almost sounds like it's coming out of a headphone that's laying on your table. Yeah. Like, little... Little detail like that I really love. And the fact that this movie just did not have that, but they had the audacity to be like, we're going to start the music with the headphones and then just completely abandon the fact that (laughs) or what causes it. But Baby Driver, and I guess you guys can just clarify that for me, was the movie set up in that way where music was only playing when he specifically put it in his ear? Or do you remember?
2: I don't even remember, honestly. It's been a year or two since I've seen it. And that's not something I get why it bothers him. And now I'm probably going to notice it more often that he said something, <laughs> but it's never something that's really stuck out to me. So I'm not sure.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think with baby driver, they do only have at least licensed music playing while he's got his headphones in. And then there's the score.
0: Oh yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm fine with that because score is a very different thing,
1: but I would have been fine in this movie if they had just played the song but like it was one of those things where like you set a scene, and then you broke that scene. But then you also went back to the scene, so <laughs> it kind of just threw me off. From like, why did you set it this way? It was it's just a dumb nitpick, but it's really one of the it's something I wrote in my notes, so it clearly meant something to me. So one out of five,
0: one of the first things I yeah. noticed, and I and <laughs> of course I didn't back then because I wouldn't even even known what the headphones were. I did not know that beats existed when this movie came out. Neither did I. And the first thing I noticed when he put it in his ear, I was like, "Well, that's beats." And yeah. like, what I could not land on was what the MP3 player was, because it was clearly it was an iPod. It clearly was not an iPod.
1: It does. It was an iPod. A hundred percent was an iPod. Even iPods my- never had those four buttons, did they? Yes, they did. The first iPod had the buttons. Did they really? Huh? Yes. I am almost 100% sure that was one of the original iPods. I don't remember them ever having, but my
2: first one was the video. So obviously, that was a few years after they started. Yeah,
1: the first one had like clickable buttons on it. But I thought that one was just the iPod classic with the rotate wheel. Like that. Hold
0: on. There is a very solid picture of it, and it is an iPod.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Beast by Dre came out in 2007.
0: Yeah. Or they first came out in 2008. So, yeah, the version that he has is from 2003, way later (laughs) than this 2010. Um, Interesting. See, I couldn't tell because of the way that it looked. It almost looked more like a first-gen Zune, but the first-gen Zune does not have four buttons up, and that's what was throwing me off. That's crazy they had buttons back then. Weird. (laughs) Anyway, I thought that was interesting. Okay, so nitpick aside, did you, you think we covered everything else that you really liked?
1: Yeah, for the most part. I mean, we talked about like my favorite scene was the bar scene.
0: Uh, we talked about the yeah. fights, so mm-hmm, for sure. uh While I'm thinking about the area of all that, which, like I said, was a small area with a bunch of packed stuff, I thought that the weapon couch was funny, just because yeah. you thinking about these old dudes and opening up a couch that looks it looks like your grandma's couch, but is just <laughs> trapped inside. What's awesome. um that whole scene itself leading up to it was just funny where you seeing her shaking and they're kind of picking up on what's going on. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that was good. But also, I guess it's because I really love Courage the Cowardly Dog. There's something about finding a random house in the middle of nowhere that always makes me think of Eustace and Muriel. Yeah. <laughs> and I almost wish they would have had a dog.
2: Yeah. <laughs> A just pink dog like, with a big mouth?
0: Yeah, just for the sake of it. Just to be like, oh, they have a dog. <laughs> um,
2: also, I would never survive the post-apocalypse because there's no way I mean like cat. Especially hairless uh, cat. Those fucking things. And how do we bros. not talk
0: about that scene? I actually love that for, for a number of reasons. I think it sets it up to who Denzel really is in this movie, or Eli, I should say. I love when the little like mouse or rat, whatever you want to call it, comes out. Yeah. And he skins off some of the... It's cat yeah he's like you'll love it it's cat and i remember the first time and even this time i was trying to think back about that scene from this time but the first time i was watching the movie i remember thinking is he using that to lure the rat so we can catch the rat
1: that's what i thought
0: and have more food (laughs) but i like that he didn't because i think it kind of sets up who he is like he only kills when completely necessary and to keep himself fed and going on is kind of like the part of the natural cycle yeah And it's also because one of the first things he kind of says whenever we hear quite a bit of exposition from him is when Solara first comes in the room and she's saying, like, you know, what was the world like before the war or before the, you know, the event which led us here? And he mentions that everyone had more than what they needed. It was basically his first thing is like, what was the world like before? Everyone had more than what they actually needed.
1: Which yeah, is, I really like that line.
0: Because, you know, we see this all the time in, in stuff like even, of course, like Fallout. Games are great about this because you have to have some kind of currency in games. But typically, it'll be something like a bottle cap or tech parts or whatever. I like that in this, pretty much everything had a value. Like, wasn't right. it kind of interesting to see him go to the tech store and be like, I'll trade you a, an American-made working lighter? Mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and then it's like well that's not quite enough so then he adds some more to it like the little wet naps from kfc and then when he's going to get the canteen filled up i thought it was cool that like he pulls out like a really nice blanket he's like here you are and then he pulls out some nice leather gloves it's it's stuff that you don't typically see given value in something like a game where uh, a market is a little more necessary it was cool to see minute items be important to someone that was cool but i think personally uh outside of the fact that i do agree with you chris on that the characters themselves are prop characters for the most part yeah. it's gary oldman's still a fantastic actor and he's still fun to watch kind of no matter what he ends up doing
1: see it's funny because i kind of thought he was kind of bad in this movie
0: I I didn't really like him. I think if I was to say anything, he's still (laughs) fun to watch, but I think the biggest thing about this is that typically what makes Gary Oldman so great is that most of the time he disappears into his roles in a way where you don't always immediately notice that it's Gary Oldman, unless you really know who he is. Whereas in this one, he's solid. His performance is good all the way around. And I like the basic story arc of someone who gives it all up and then gets nothing in return, you know, but, uh, you're, you're right the one thing about it is even though i still think he was his performance was fun and good it was kind of like oh well, that's definitely gary oldman <laughs> yeah definitely and Small. i do i will say he he
1: improved throughout the movie but like right at the beginning i was like ooh, i don't know that i like him in this
0: yeah
2: for sure Yeah, he was passable for sure that's about all i can say for him too
0: yeah it's like the i agree with chris though so i i At first, I was like, oh, Gary Oldman's in this. But as the movie got closer and closer to the finale, I was like, now, uh, this is why I remember that I really like Gary Oldman. But at the beginning, it was kind of like, okay, just a Mm -hmm. run-of-the-bill bad guy. Uh, But I think I'm just about all the things I had to say. I was mostly curious to see where Chris landed on this since he was a first-time watcher. Uh, So if you had to say, how many Denzel movies do you think you've not seen? Like Have you seen, I, I know I have, have you seen the Equalizer 1 or 2? I've seen most
1: of both of them, I believe. That's one of those like, oh, it's on TV. Yeah. I haven't seen either of them. I, I think I've
0: seen... Denzel doing The Transporter.
2: Yeah,
1: it's, that's basically what it is. It's pretty good. I've
0: Which seen amazing. a lot
2: of his more recent stuff. Looking on Letterboxd, he's got a lot of 80s and 90s movies that I haven't seen. And apparently many others haven't. They have like 300 members that have seen them on Letterboxd. Oh,
0: wow. Yeah, I'd say I remember him being much more prolific in terms of prolific uh, prolific's a bad word. I remember him being in a lot more things in the late 80s through the, like the early to mid 2000s. And then it I think like he
2: really he hit a stride like 95. A lot of his movies are early 2000s, honestly.
0: Uh, maybe. Like but Inside
2: but I Man, American Gangster, Flight's pretty recent. Remember the Titans was 2000.
0: Yeah, remember the Titans 2000. Of Fire, Deja, Deja Vu. Like what, late 90s. What's that? Said so John Q is like what late nineties or is it early two thousands?
1: Ninety nine, two thousand two, two thousand two. Yeah, yeah.
0: Wow. he really like sure I said. Up. I think I think most of his movies
2: was probably like ninety eight on.
0: Yeah, or at least when he got really big.
2: Yeah, like he's definitely got some ones from the eighties in here that I've never even heard of. Mm-hmm. But yeah,
0: you're right. Early two thousands was a big time for him because wasn't that like uh, what's that's most movie?
2: of his movies? Man uh, of Fire,
0: Antoine Fisher. I've never seen that either, but I've heard good things.
2: Bone Collector was 99. Then Philadelphia? 93.
0: Interesting. Yeah, yeah, a lot of
2: his was 2000 and 2010, honestly.
1: <laughs> Sorry. All right. <laughs> Fucking phone's went off quick. Sorry about that. That's
0: <laughs> so good. All right. Well, I guess here we are at the very end of everything, and I think we're led to the only thing we have left to do is have Mr. Blake. Our, or to, give our, to give our ratings for everything and then have Mr. Blake give our next movie in Denzel month. Yeah. So, this is going to be an interesting one. Blake, I'm going to let you go first. I'm curious to see how your rating... Do you have an inkling of where you think the movie was in your head from a rating standpoint and where it's at now? Or do you just kind of have what you feel now?
2: I praised the fuck out of this movie like as a high schooler. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I don't know if I would have given it a 5 out of 5, but it would have been high for sure. Sure. And it's okay. still high. I get right now. I give it a three and a half. Okay. And so that's not bad. I really like this movie. Still, so I'll probably end up watching it again at some point.
0: Yeah, man. Getting it for two dollars, I was like, hey, I, I'd probably end up watching this at some point in time. It's worth having. Yeah. All right, mm-hmm. Chris, you're next up, buddy. What would you give the movie? Uh, four and a half. Four and a half. That's pretty solid.
1: Yeah, I I think my Letterbox review was. I don't know why I don't want to give this a five, but I don't want to give it a five. <laughs> <laughs> It's all I because think, of the
0: damn headphones, man.
2: <laughs> Honestly, my biggest qualm with it is that everything fun happened in the first third. So it was a slow burn, like played in reverse. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think it was almost like, I mean, obviously a very different movie than Hereditary, but it was like the opposite of
0: Hereditary. Yeah, I can see that where I'm assuming you mean that everything
2: thing. in that like, movie happens
0: at like at the last the, 15 the minutes. Last, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, and now this is a weird tie together. And I don't necessarily completely agree. I think this movie does a better job at still having something going for it at the end. And I think the ultimate twist is a good one. Uh, and like I said, you you can kind of see it coming if you're just being really uh, attentive but I don't yeah. think that it's something that just a lot of people expected. I don't think anybody expected the Bible to be braille, which is a cool aspect. Yeah, uh, that
2: when he gets all pissed off looking at it, I love that.
0: Yeah. So there's that, and then of course, so um, I think, and if if we were to kind of say what you're thinking, it is, it's almost like irreversible, where it's like all the crazy stuff is happening at the beginning to set stuff up.
2: Yeah, and then it goes.
0: Kind of downhill from there is what you're thinking. Yeah, it could definitely
2: be compared to that.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Do you think this movie would be more interesting to you if they did it in reverse order?
2: I think so, because I'm a big fan of slow burn movies. I enjoy, you know, setting the atmosphere and like Hereditary is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I think it works perfectly. I mean, uh, stuff does happen in that movie. Like, I don't mean that nothing happens for an hour and a half. But. Sure,
0: but it's just like the 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 rate at which it ramps up at the end is so strong that it's like yeah, clearly the ending is where coming up yeah to be okay. All right, well, I guess I'm the outlier, and you know, I was a little worried going into this movie that I was going to be really disappointed with it, and I'm glad to say that I wasn't. I'm going to give it a four, so I'm right in between you two guys. I had a really good time watching it, but I think a couple of things could have been done better. But ultimately, I like a lot of the mystery that it leaves you with. And I think that a good movie, if nothing else, like I said, not necessarily a great movie, who knows, but a good movie or a good piece of art should leave you thinking about it once you're done. And I think I would have been doing that even if I had not watched it for the podcast.
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: So, All right, Blake, you're up, buddy. What's our movie for next? All right.
2: It is 2007's Ridley Scott movie, American Gangster
0: american wow
1: okay
2: yeah okay. denzel washington and russell crowe i
0: see remember seeing the-
2: this but i can't remember if i ever finished it or if i liked it so we so shall Blake- see
0: Before we get off <laughs> here, i noticed that you tend to really like going towards stuff that has a kind of gangster slash mafia vibe to it what's up with that is that just something that you find yourself naturally drawn to do i that? do
2: i really like those kind of movies and I'm really interested to see
0: Denzel in that kind of movie. Okay, I got you. Yeah, seeing him kind of in an element that's outside of what you would have expected.
2: Yeah, for sure. Okay. And it is on stars.
0: You know what I kind of like about so, Denzel is from when you look at his IMDb, it's like he refuses to be typecast. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Which I think is a is the strength of any good actor. You know, I mean, Definitely. he's in all
2: kinds of things, from just being a lawyer to a someone in the West to for a football coach football coach (laughs) (laughs) bones
0: yeah all right guys well thank you for joining us and if you want to share your thoughts with book of eli on uh, uh with us you can do so by heading over to twitter and finding us at matinee underscore midweek you can also find us on facebook and instagram at midweek matinee you can find these guys at popes P O B S T underscore Blake underscore ninety two on Twitter, and you can find Mr. Chris over at Chris or at Figs twenty one K rather, correct on Twitter. So if you want to shout at them over one of their takes that you may think is either good or bad, feel free to do so. You can find me. I'm Except never on to the
1: Thunderdome, Twitter. bitch. <laughs>
0: Yell at me on the at sqrd one, and that's probably the most likely chance that you'll find me. (laughs) Or I'll see what you're doing on the midweek matinee one and and respond. But um, I think that we would like to close this off the way we always do. And first of all, thanking our patrons who give us Extra support outside of just our time, which we are ever so grateful for and if you would like to become a patron and get this episode early, they come out the Friday before so you get it a full five days in advance uh, you can do so while supporting the show directly and that helps us do a lot of things of which we are going to start doing more of like trying to get the show more out there for more people to come in and listen but it mainly just kind of gives us a cushion to be able to, to work within if emergencies come up or if you know we need something for the podcast or for someone within the podcast and we are ever grateful for that so as we always do we're going to get, close the show out by shouting out some of our patrons and josh
1: Jarrell, my
0: name is dan
1: thank Luke you Bartolomeo. thank you kevin bacon bits thank you thank you to our new patron <laughs> greg miller greg miller <laughs>
2: We should get Gary Wood on the cast, though.
1: Oh, yay. That would be fun.
2: I mean, he wrote the movie. It was a joke, but yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, thanks to our patrons, Kyle Grimm, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green. My name is Dan. Luke Bartolomeo. Sean Sanderud. Funk Turkey. Danny Villiobos. Corey Hickerson. Blake Popst. Kevin Baconbits, Joshua Lago, Eric McAllister, Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, The Stonard, Travis Below, Stefan Swanland, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, Chris Figs, Zachary Sawyer, Landis, Rude Days 93, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Brandon Edwards, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, El Shabib, Jason Clendenning, Tyler B, and last but certainly not least, Mr. Richard Schaefer. If you want to become a patron, head over to Patreon dot com slash nartech thank you
2: thank you